Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Good morning. Thank you for fighting the weather. Who does Jesus love the most today, huh? <laughs> it is good to see the rain again, huh? Um, listen, uh, we're doing a couple of weeks on being transformed by grace. We're talking about change. Think about this. If we were to go ahead 20 years from now, what w- how would you feel if you were exactly the same now in, as you are, or as you are now as you would be in 20 years? In other words, you don't change for 20 years. What would you feel like? Now, I mean, the, let me just tell you, first of all, that can't happen. I have good news and bad news. Um, it, you won't be the same person. You can't be the same person. And the bad news is that if you don't do anything, you're going to be a lot worse. That's just the way it goes. If you, if you don't dis- decide and determine and pay, pro- pay the price for change, in a good way, you will change for the worse. You will become bitter and isolated. That's just physics. That's the way we age. Or... The good news is that you don't have to stay where you are. You can change dramatically. You can be so much more like Christ. It is the ambition of God to make you look a lot like his son in character. And that's what we're talking about doing in our, just our little two-part series here. We're talking about real change. Last week, we talked about the nature of change. It was fairly philosophical. We looked at kind of the, the, the dynamics of change, that being that it's like when Paul was describing it in the book he wrote to the Galatians. He said, it's like we're ha- we have fruit of the Spirit. Our character is like fruit of the Spirit. And we realized that that meant it was singular. It was kind of, it's all or kind of nothing. You can't just isolate and, and, and focus on one of those fruit. The second thing that he talked about it was that it was like a botanical growth, right? It's more like a plant. So it's slow, but it's sure. It does, it, you're not going to see things happen overnight, but you're going to certainly have to see something happen or the plant's dead. And then finally, we, we realized that it was miraculous, that it was the fruit of the Spirit, not of our works. Not, it's fruit of God's miraculous work in our souls, not our desiring to just change and um, just practicing various disciplines. There's a dynamic that's taking place that we can't explain. Now, well, all of that was uh, helping us understand so that we know what we're getting into when we talk about real change, when we talk about prolonged, deep, life-changing change, right, the real thing. Okay, so now we're going to look at today about how, what we can do about that. Now, if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5, I want you to see probably, yeah, this is the most important part. This is it. The, the sermon peaks in the first four minutes, and from now on, we're just kind of be rolling down a hill. So... So look at John chapter 5, and just the first few verses there, it, it might be familiar to you. Uh, it's, it's one of the dumber questions ever asked, and it turns out to be one of the greatest questions ever asked. Verse 1 says, uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. And now when he was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, uh, there was a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered porches. Now, here was a great number of disabled people. They used to lie there, the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. And one of them had been there as an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. Now, when Jesus saw him lying there, uh, he, he learned that he'd been in that condition for a long time. What's a long time? 38 years is a long time, yes. And then he asked him, do you want to get well? 
So there it is. The, the dumbest question or the smartest question ever asked. 38 years as an invalid by this pool, do you want to get well? You can't change unless this question is answered in the affirmative. If you don't want to change, you can't change. A lot of people do not want to change. By staying stuck and being, in his case, you know, in an infirmary, right, uh, as an invalid. As an invalid, you you get attention. You um, show yourself to be different from other people. You get some mileage for that. You can live kind of a lazy life if you work it right. You, you can, people that are, people that don't want to change, they just expect other people to live around them and then they don't have to take responsibility for their own lives. And so Jesus shows up to this man and he says, okay, 38 years, it doesn't matter how long you've been there. It doesn't even matter. Those aren't the issues. It doesn't even matter what, what ailment you have. The issue is this, do you want to get well? And and that's what we're talking about when we talk about dynamic change. The Lord is asking, do you want to change? There are two reasons that people change. People change for two reasons. The first one is that they're learning. They understand what God's up to. It's not like the Lord has left us in, in, in kind of a question of what life is about and what our purpose in life is. Here's, here's the answer. He is going to make us like Jesus. We've been, we've been predetermined to be like Jesus. And so all the character traits that Jesus have, and we looked at those last week, really in a lot of ways, some of those, many of the character traits of love and joy and peace and patience. But, but he is arranging our lives so that we would have an encounter with a decision to make, do you want to get well? Because he, and, and so some people that change just by learning, they get that. Their ambition is, is kind of running parallel with God's ambition in life. And they say, I, I see things in me. So the point is, is they're self-aware. And they're kind of in a constant state of self-evaluation. You know, their, their morning prayers and nighttime prayers are, okay, wh- wh- what, are we, what are we working on, Lord? What, what did I do today? Just let me inventory what's happened because I want to change. There's two reasons people change. One is they're learning and they, they, they understand what God's up to. And the second one is suffering. Some people just, they won't change until there's enough pain to cause them to change. The, they have to hit, hit a point where the, the pain that they're suffering right now is, is worth moving away from and into the pain of change. Pain, change is painful, no doubt. And so some people have to wait until that pain threshold tips and the current life isn't working for them anymore. In other words, people aren't enabling them and they're not letting them live in a kind of in a broken way anymore. And they're starting to pay some of their own bills, living with their own consequences. And then they say, I need to change. So today we're going to look at four things that you can do to help change. Now, again, it's miraculous work and it's God's spirit, but if it is like a tree, let's just pretend it's like a tree, you can still do, do things to help, right? If you planted a tree, you know, the bigger the bowl that you cut out, you know, and, and, you know which means, you know, with a, around here with an axe or, some, or something, with a jackhammer, right? A big bulb at the bottom, you put the right kind of ground in there, you put a lot kind of fertilizer in there, you water it the right amount, you stake the tree maybe. You do those things, you're not causing the growth, you're just kind of getting out of the way and making sure it gets done right. So you'll need, here's what I'm thinking today, four things, okay? You're going to want, give, think, and a monkey. You're going to want, give, think, and you're going to need a monkey, okay? I know, it's kind of strange. I'm just trying to get you to hold on there for the monkey part. The first thing is, you've got to want more, 
you have to want more. And what, what I mean by this is you, you have to look at the fruit of the Spirit and salivate. You, you should, your mouth should get wet when you start looking at that list of the fruit. You, you, I want to love more, not, not, not be friendly, okay? not settling for being nice, but I want to love holistically more. Or do you want to just kind of leave people hurt or just pleasant? Do you want, do you want joy about, about the life that God has given you? Or do you want to just slip into bitterness? Do you want the peace that comes from accepting what God is doing, or are you going to still try to maintain a sense of sovereignty and control and wear everyone else around you, and then ultimately yourself? Your brain is designed to want more. It's interesting. This talk is really kind of an outline. I've been reading a lot of psychology lately, and this out, it's, just, it's brain studies. I'm going to quote a lot of brain studies because I'm going to show you what God does. I'm going to show you how the brain studies are proving this. Brain studies are proving that people with ambition are well. People that don't have ambition are not mentally well. And, and so God, with that in mind, I mean, because we're designed for that. I start with design first. I mean, look, Ephesians 2.10 says this. That for we, were, we are God's workmanship created for Christ Jesus for good works. For God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has great works in Christ for us that he arranged before the beginning of time. And he, he desires us to pursue those things. He wants us. He would love us. He, we, no, no. We need those works in Christ to do. They're not works for us. Okay? They're works for him. And when we, when we, again, when we learn that, that, that God has set us up for these good works in Christ that we're going to do for his joy, then we, we pursue whatever it takes to get there. Now, here's the problem with the good works in Christ. I'll give you a heads up, full disclosure. Those good works are going to stretch you. They are going to push you beyond the, your abilities of where you're comfortable. It's a setup. He's going to push you into fear. Have you looked at his kind of the way he mentored the 12? I mean, he takes these guys fishing, and they don't fish much. They mostly scream and cry. And that's because he needs to stretch them. Wherever they were before, he wants them to get stronger still. And so it's usually fear. It's usually fear that keeps us from wanting more. Because wanting more pushes us into fear. And so we have to make, okay, there's two reasons people choose to, to, to change, right? Because they're learning that I've got to push through this or the pain has to get to a point where I have to change or it's becoming more difficult to change. In one of the books I was reading, I, I, I read um, about a man who, had, he owned a factory and uh, it was a company business and the heir apparent is his oldest son and uh, he, he wanted to retire, so he was looking forward to that day. And then one day he was walking around the shop floor and saw that son that was supposed to inherit the business just berating one of the employees in front of everyone else. And it was just humiliating for everyone. And so he whistled at him and told him, you know, come on over and sat him down in his office. And he said, look, I, um, this is really difficult for me. I, I wear with you, I'm always wearing two hats, it seems like. I'm wearing this boss's, boss's hat, and then I'm wearing, I'm wearing this father hat. So I want you to hear this because right now I'm going to wear the boss's hat. The boss's hat. Ready? Yes. You're fired. We have talked about this so many times about you being angry and losing your temper and the way you deal with things, and you've chosen not to change. And, and this is my company, and we can't have that behavior in my company from anyone. 
And so you can't work here anymore. Now, if you wouldn't mind, can I put on my father hat? I heard you just lost your job and you need help changing so you can be a great employee somewhere else. How can I help you change now? See, that's, that's, really, that's, that's good love. He wouldn't change because it was fearful to change. Whatever that might have been, right? He had to face something in his past or whatever. whatever. But here's the thing. Most of what God has for you is on the other side of fear. Most of what God has for you is on the other side of fear. Who would you be if you were not afraid? You'd be more like Christ, I bet. So would you please do this? Here's your first application. Would you please ask God to do one of two things? One, help you understand what he is up to in your life and not to fear the fear. Or if you can't learn that, would you ask God to make things so difficult that the pain will push you through your fear of fear? Do you want to get well? How bad do you, do you want more in life? Do you want deeper relationships, greater understanding, I mean, profound levels of intimacy? You will crush through fear to get there. That's the first thing. Got, you have to want more. The second thing is you have to be a giver. You have to be a giver. I heard a talk 10 years ago by a very successful Christian businessman, and he summarized life in a very simplistic way. He said, there's two types of people. They're givers and takers. And I thought, it can't be that simple. I've looked at a lot of people since then. <laughs> I think it might be that simple. You know, he, he just said, don't, takers, they can never get enough. And they're rarely, if ever, grateful. And you, so you don't want, you don't want a, a taker to, to work for you. You don't want to work with a taker. You don't want to date a taker. You don't want to marry a taker because they can never get enough. And even if they give anything, it's so they can get later. It's, you know, it's, it's a back-scratching thing. But God designed us to give. No, 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 no. Forget that. Okay. God's nature is to give. Let's start before a creation. God's nature is to give. For God so loved the world, he gave. Within the context of the Trinity, they are just having a kind of a giving war going on. And so it is, it is like us It is like us to give. What, what does it say in Acts? One of the few sentences you'll find in red letters if you have a red letter edition Bible. He says, oh, you remember what the Lord Jesus said to us? It is better to give than to receive. That's why because it's, it's the nature of the Trinity. It is the nature of the Christ. It is the, it, the first Adam, right? It is, it is the nature of us to give. And so we, we, are, we are made to, to give, not to receive so much. Psychologically speaking, again, brain studies, the, 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 some of the stuff I was looking at, they, they are able to wire a brain now so they can, feed, they can get feedback on chemical reactions and, and parts of the brains that are firing. And they're, and they're realizing that that the parts of the brain that fire when you give, and that means, you know, financially or making a meal for the single mom down the street or just giving using your talents, whatever it might mean, what that might mean. And usually it's sacrificial giving that fires these things in your brain. It is the same part of the brain that fires when you have a great meal. Remember that? Uh, or when you have sex. Now I have your attention. 
So let me just put this in the category. I'm just talking about, you know, neurons here in your brain. There's great food, there's great sex, and there's great giving. You, you can tell your parents that we talked about that today. And that's not why, not the last part that I just said, but that, the, the giving part is why we have one of our core values here, committed to service. Committed to service, right? You see that on a lot of our, our logoing. Here's why. Because we're made that way. Because God is that way. And, I mean, look, look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must first be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. I mean, if it's good enough for Jesus, right? (laughs) Right? If it's good enough for Jesus, I'm talking, it's the way we're designed. Do you want to change? You have to want to get better. You have to want to be a giver, not a taker. Third, we're getting to the monkey, but not now. You have to think differently. You have to think different. Life is not about what happens to you. Life is about how you interpret what happens to you. That's a huge difference. Life is not about what happens to you. Life is about how you interpret what happens to you. Okay, let's just kind of review a little bit about change. Who does the changing in our lives? The Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, What does the Spirit choose to use the most often, the most frequently, the most powerful weapon, right, in his arsenal? It's the Bible. It's the Bible. He he uses the Word of God in our head. That's the Bible, okay, the Word of God. He uses that in our head and then speaks to us in that vocabulary. Let me, I mean, this isn't entirely true, but let's just pretend that he can only use words and sentences that you've memorized from the Bible. How much could he talk to you? If that's his, like, if his Morris code is the Bible, can you receive it even? Because that's how he talks to us. It's, it's, it's always been that way. That's the way, that's why he left us the Bible, so we could know ethical parameters, what's right and wrong, right? That sort of thing, that he could define reality, what's right, real, and true, that he could tell us the future so that we could be feeling safe and at ease. Right? He gives us promises so that we can be secure in who we are if we're one of his children. Look what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Look what he says. We demolish arguments and every uh, pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, that we, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, look at the words there. Look how graphic they are. We take captive every thought. So you get a thought in your head, and you kind of grab it, and you say, you sit down and stay there. You tie that thought down, and you say, what's up? Defend yourself. Why are you rattling around in my head for the last 17 years? How do you justify your your rent in my brain? You say that, what, um, I've got to be liked by everyone. Where does it say that in the Bible? I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm going to figure out what it is, whether it's true or not, whether it's coming along in line what it says, the knowledge of God. And if it, doesn't, if it doesn't work, I'm going to spit it out. It is what you read, friends, in the Bible that matters. Let me tell you how powerful, again, our minds are, are wired. Um, Lynn and I had a conversation with an old wise woman that um, was in teaching for over 30 years. She had grown children 
And we were talking about mood swings and kind of weird phases of, of, people, of children's lives and stuff. And she said this. She goes, you know what? My daughter had a really kind of a strange time in high school where she was getting fairly melancholy and depressive. She started uh, dropping out of the things that she enjoyed doing. She became reclusive. And, and honestly, that's not uncommon for sophomores and sometimes seniors. But again, this woman is so insightful. She knew there was more to it. What was the question she asked? She asked one question of her daughter. To diagnose the condition of her soul, she said, what are you reading? What are you reading? And, she, and the daughter said, what do, you, what do you mean? Well, I'm reading these very dark biographies for my AP English class, and they're kind of nihilistic. There's no hope. And they're, they're without anything positive. And so the mom said, you're going to stop reading those books. And if you t- get a bad grade, that bad grade's on me, not on you. Because we, you, gotta, you have to learn, and I have to help you learn how to care for your soul. I had a, one of the smartest men I've ever known and ever read is a gentleman named J.P. Moreland. He said this, you are a product of two things. You are a product of what you read and who you befriend. That's because of, it's not about movies, it's not about videos, it's, it's not about entertainment, it is about reading. You've got to change the way you think. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you renew your mind by taking thoughts captive, and you do that by reading the Bible. That's why we talk about Bible meditation here at Grace. Okay, what should we talk? The Voyage is a reading program through the Bible. We have cut out all the stuff that causes people to kind of get bored with the Bible. It's called The Voyage. I think there's some stuff at the welcome desk for that, or you can even sign up online, and we'll send you the passages every day. But don't just read it. Meditate on it. At Grace, here, you probably don't know this because we don't talk about it much for the last while, but we have, 12 years ago, we came up with a curriculum for the pulpit, the youth I think, I don't know how far it goes, but there, there's a core curriculum. But for the pulpit, we just took a master's of art and biblical studies from several seminaries and said, let's do that. Let's have a plan about changing the way people think. And so we study the epistles and the epics and systematic theology and ministry skills and life skills. And we have this rotating through the years. Every year we do all of those. So you get a holistic, well-grounded life change potential. It's a potential, but that's it. What we're up to is Ephesians 4. If you look this up when you get home, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. Let me read it if you don't mind. And listen to what he's trying to transform a person, change a person. He uses somewhat derogatory terms. Then you'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth through the waves, blown here and there by every wind and teaching and cunning marketing campaign, these deceitful schemes. No, no, no. Instead, we're going to speak truth and love. And we will in all things grow up. We want you to be a grown-up into him, which is the head, that is Jesus Christ. You want to change? You have to want more. You, you, you have to be a giver. You have to think differently, and you need a monkey. I'm sorry, you need to connect. You need to get connected. Again, going back to the brain, the way the brain is wired, this is strange. But they've done studies on people that that were a bit isolated, and then they got them connected with other people, and they watched how their brain worked and how their lives changed. Here, I'll just read you the list, the grocery list of changes in their lives. 
These are the things that changed. Their performance goes up. Their creativity and problem solving is enhanced. Energy levels increase. The immune system is nearly doubled. Coming back from sickness is made easier. Recovery rates are shorter. Some acknowledge that as many as seven years of life is added to people with good friendships. Henry Cloud said, the brain runs on three things, oxygen, glucose, and relationships. There's something about the power of love and deep community that causes the brain, the brain, he didn't say mind, by the way, the brain to work better. Here's a fun little uh, story of, of a, a psychology experiment that they did. They, okay, they wired this monkey up. Here's the monkey part. They wired this monkey up with the electrodes and those sorts of things so they could measure ba- brain uh, chemistry, but also what parts of the brains are firing which aren't, are not. And they put this lone little monkey in a cage, and then, they just, and then they went out to traumatize the monkey. And so they're shaking the cage. They're hitting him with bright strobe lights, right, and then, the, then different loud sonic blasts. And he cowers into the corner, and they're measuring, okay, they're measuring his stress levels are going through the, t- through the roof. His brain starts shutting down because you go to fight and flight, and that's what happens when we're overly stressed. We go to fight and flight. We don't do much else, productivity. We're just trying to survive. And, and so, okay, they, they measured all of that. Then they gave the little monkey a break. Then they hit him again with the same thing, traumatizing him, and then they opened the cage up and let in his best friend, his best monkey friend. And the two of them that were in there together, they didn't change anything, okay? So they still had the bright lights, the shaking cage, and the sonic blast, okay, right? Your, your business is still going bad. The teenagers are going crazy. All that, all that stays the same. But he was with his monkey friend. All the stress levels, the chemical stress levels in this monkey's head dropped to half of what they were before. Misery loves, no, misery needs company. So who's your monkey? Who's your monkey? You can't get through life without that. And listen, I don't mean what I mean by, you know, we're made for connection, right? We're made for that. And I'm not talking about being in here with a room full of people. I mean, Aristotle said almost 2,300 years ago, he said it as good as anyone. There's three types of friends. They're not good or bad. They're just different, okay? There's friends for utility and, and friends for utility or, or back-scratching friends. If you do this, I'll do that. You know, you take care of the neighbor's yard and they take care of your cat when you're gone, that sort of thing. You help with the printer. You'll, the other guy will help with the computer. Okay. There's, there's, that's one. Two, there's friends for pleasure. That's your golf buddy, your running friend, the people you meet at the gym or at the coffee shop. It's your chit-chat friends. They're acquaintances. They're great. They're not bad. It's fine. Okay. They don't change you. They don't, they're not part of the change here. They're not the monkey you're looking for. And then, there's, and then the third level is what he talked about for the good. The friend for the good. And that's the kind of friend that you need. You need, you need a relationship that is saying, I'm going to talk to you like we talked about in Ephesians. I'm going to speak truth and love to you. And, and Aristotle says, these are friends of mutual respect with mutual goals. And what's our goal? To be like Jesus. And so this, this friend of yours, this monkey, is the one that you turn to and you say, Man, let's do this. Let's grow through life together. Here, here at Grace, I mean, you can look at this. If you look at, let me, let's go back to the Bible. Look in, if, for homework. If you have a Bible program, this is a great search. Go to the epistles on categories of how, what do you want to search for? And then search for the word Timothy. 
because Paul has this relationship with Timothy, this for the good, a friend for the good. And they are out to be conformed to the image of Christ together. And so when you look at that, just kind of look at the sentence before, the sentence with the word Timothy, and the sentence after, and look at the way Paul talks about his friend Timothy. That's what you need in life. The goals here at Grace Covenant Church, because we're committed to real change, is that your mate, the one who you said your vows to, and those vows were nothing more than saying, I want to be that in your life. And we arrange things here at Grace so that marriages, if you're married, that your mate is that person, is that primary person that says, we're going to go through this together. And then another goal that we have here at Grace is that you would have one or two other friends. Look, if you get through life with three friends for the good, you are blessed. So this is, this is a different category of friendship than maybe that you're used to. But we just want you to have like a married partner that's in this with you and two other friends that want to be there to help you change, to help you want to change, right? To help you want to change. And how do pe- why do people change? One, you can, you can add new wisdom to their life. Or, you know, a, that's not why everybody changes. Or you could be the friend, right, that, that lets the person endure their consequences, right? That lets them suffer more, that does not enable them by saving them that you enforce consequences. We, you need a friend that's going to help you become a giver because we're born to be takers. I mean, the whole culture is all about taking, right? It's all about you. You deserve a break today. We want someone to speak new wisdom into your life because they have passages that you might not know, and that's how the, that's how the Spirit does things. We have ministries that when you get really stuck and you can't change, ministries like Celebrate Recovery. If you're stuck with some kind of habit that you can't get out of, that's what Celebrate Recovery is for. There's a table in our lobby. Go talk to Robin. He would love to talk to you about getting unstuck. We want you to have your best friend monkey to be your mate, and that's why we have Reengage. It's not for people that have terrible marriages. It has, it's for people that have marriages that want more. Our adult communities are for you to kind of have, what, friends of utility, Friends of, of, of fun, learning together, and then you kind of meet someone. That's what our life groups are about. We don't want you to be best friends with everyone in the life group. We want you to find that one or two, uh, per, two people that you could go through life with and say, you want to do this? Because I'm getting tired of not changing. Here's what, here's what the assignment is. I want you to be frustrated with where you are today. And I want you to reach down and say, God, I want, I want, you, I want you to change this soul of mine. I want so much more. I'm tired of laying on the side of the pool of Bethesda with a list of excuses of why I get to stay here and other people bring me food. I want, I want you to think about moving on. But you've got to be willing to do these four things. Listen, these stories are pretty frequent around here. I'm gonna, I, I had about three or four I could tell you with names, and, and I thought, you know what? It's so generic. The outline is so simple. Okay, I'm just going to give you this generic things. It's usually a five. The fives are painful. 15, 25, these are years old. 15 years old, 25 years old, 35 years old, 45, 55. Those are, the, those are hard times. So here's, let me just give you a 35-year-old example, okay? Those are the grinding years. If, you have, if you're not 35 or you haven't been 35, you could look forward to that. 
those are the grinding years. Your career is grinding. Your marriage, if you're married, is grinding. Sometimes, often, you have young children. Yeah, that. Let's, let's, be, let's be nice. But uh, we're talking about the children. But you're, you're, the point is, is you're like one of those surge, your soul is like one of those surge suppressors, and everybody's sticking cords in you, and they're draining the life out of your soul. And you're hoping it lights fire, because then maybe you'll get out of it. You know, there's a lot of different ways to blow this thing up. And so, I mean, you just don't even want to do it anymore. And what got you there isn't working anymore. You're plateauing in your faith and your life and your joy because working harder isn't enough. You got too many amps coming through and it's just, it's just heating up. And now this thing that you've been working for, you know, a, a wife or husband, children, job, that sort of thing, it's bringing out the absolute worst in you. And so this is all boiling up until you say, I quit. I can't do this anymore. This is stupid. That is another way of saying, I want to change. Wait, I want more. Wait, that's part one. <laughs> now you're there. You're there. You have to want more. This cannot be the life that God wants for me. It is not the life God wants for you. You're living in fear. So, Let's go to the next step. And then you realize, you know what? I'm going to just, I quit. I'm going to serve. I'm not going to help around the house and do extra chores and work extra nights at work and all that kind of stuff so I can have a bonus or so so I can go hunting or fishing or shopping or whatever it might be because I always get disappointed because I'm always doing more, right? Um, I'm just going to serve because I don't care about me anymore. And that's another way of saying the second thing, to be a giver. You forget about yourself. Self-forgetfulness is the second part. Then a person is working, he doesn't even know he's working around the deal. And he's looking at the Bible. But when you, listen, when you quit and then you're a, a giver, not a taker, you can op- open the passages in the Bible, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And, you'll, and with, now you have x-ray understanding and you say, what? Has that been there all the time? I'm going to take that thought captive and I'm going to let it stick around. And you chase off all these stupid things that have been rattling around your head about the definition of honoring your father and mother or whatever it might be. It's maladapted so that it works for you, but it's not working because it's not true. And then you take this very careful inventory of friends because all you have are acquaintances. You have, you have friends of utility and you have friends for fun. And you think, oh my, I have been a shallow little boy or little girl. And you, and you look around it and you look at that list and you say, you know what? I bet there's two here that are getting tired like me. And you take them to lunch and you say, I want more. And I don't care about getting any more. I just want to have the Bible running through my veins. And I want a friend. I need a monkey. Will you be my monkey? It happens so much around here that it's worth coming back every week. Would you today consider the cost of change? Because it's painful. And I hope that you don't have to have more pain from lack of change to push you into that. I would love for us all to become wise into the ways of God so that we would desire change without having to live with our consequences. That's my prayer for grace.
Be a lighthouse, would you, Grace? Would you be a lighthouse of change for other people? And you can tell them it's a miraculous thing, but you kind of have to do these four things. You're going to need a monkey. Dear Lord Jesus, we are grateful for a church that has structured itself around this idea and this model of being connected through relationships, of being committed to service, about being transformed by your grace. Lord Jesus, would you help us desire change? Would you let us see ourselves? Would you help us be self-aware enough to see ourselves as being sick and at the side of the pool of Bethesda needing great help? So let us answer the question honestly that, yes, we want to change. Now, the rest is, is yours. Work in us a miracle. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org. 